0: Recently, Brandon and I, for a very brief moment, uh, discussed this scripture. And uh, it wasn't very many minutes, just a few minutes after we had our brief discussion, that I realized that I did not know how to explain this scripture as satisfactorily as I should, nor did I even understand it as I should. And maybe I still don't. I don't know. You can, you can tell me after we have our study of the evening. If you disagree with me, well, I'll be glad to talk with you about it. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 has a very interesting phraseology to it. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, what does it mean? to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How do do we endeavor? What do we do to endeavor? What exactly is the unity of the Spirit that we are to endeavor to keep? And how do we obey this command within the bond of peace? Those were some questions that come to my mind as as I begin to think about it a little bit. You know, it, the Bible says there in uh, in Ephesians chapter four and verse one, "I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called." We have a vocation that we are called to do. We have a job. We have a job to do. The Scripture says that we are called to do this job, uh, and within that, within that calling. Uh, it also says that we are to do that with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, you might call these, these words that are highlighted here uh, attitudes or characteristics. Uh, but attitudes or characteristics, if you will, are not uh, an end to themselves. Now, what do I, what I mean by that? Uh, Having certain attitudes are, are not all that our vocation, our job, our calling demands. Now, we are commanded to have these attitudes, but that's not all we're commanded to do. I don't believe that God, through the words of Paul here to the, in the letter to the Ephesians, called us to be humble and gentle and patient just for the sake of having these characteristics. I don't think that's all that was, was entailed. You know, attitudes or characteristics are often the way that commands of God are properly obeyed. And that's the the view I want to look at the topic this evening. In other words, we have to have these characteristics in order to obey the commands that we are given to obey. So my question then is, to what purpose did God, through Paul's letter to the Ephesians... Call on us to be humble and gentle, to be patient, to be loving. To what end did he call us to do that? Why did he want us to be that way? And the only answer I could come up with, uh, the only way I could find to answer that question, I'll say, is to focus on two action words that we find in these scriptures in Ephesians 4, chapter 2, verse verse 2 and 3. There are two action words. That uh, that we need to focus on. The first one. In in verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness. With long suffering. Forbearing one another in love. Uh, Forbearing. To be tolerant. Uh, The other word. Is. uh, Well let's just. Let me back up for a second. Uh, The catch word. The catchphrase in the definition of of forbearing is to endure. I found that, that really interesting. Enduring one another, put up with one another. Through a love that puts others uh, before ourselves. Never thought about enduring uh, that much in this in this concept. Uh, the other one is to keep, endeavoring to keep. That's the other action word to attend to carefully to take care of to guard to keep one in the state in which he is or to reserve you know i can't imagine putting up with the quirks of you people without having humbleness and gentleness tolerance endurance Somebody says, well, that sounds a bit prideful to me. It's not pride because you, you know what? I don't understand how you people can put up with me without having those qualities. Have you ever thought of that, Matt? You and I are a lot alike in that we don't really like to be around a lot of people outside of our people. What is it about our people that helps us to do that? It's, it's those things. Patience, humbleness, meekness, forbearance. That's what allows us to put up, put up with that, th- those things. It's what allows us to put up with each other. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If we didn't have those attitudes that we discussed earlier, we could not do that. For just a moment here this evening, I want to I focus more on the endeavoring to keep part of of that though those who are humble gentle patient loving the Bible says we have the tools we need we should be equipped to keep the unity of the spirit that's what the Bible says we should be able to do if we have those those attitudes and uh, I want to discuss not only why this is true but maybe how how we go about obeying this command So first of all, let's look at what what is the unity of the Spirit. It's important, necessary, for us to understand what it is that we are to keep. You know, there are many today that teach that uh, keeping the unity of the Spirit is only a command for those most spiritual people. Those those that are maybe a level more spiritual, quote-unquote, than other people are. Uh, In the Catholic religion, they might reserve that for the priest or the bishops, those who are are of the upper echelon of authority. Those are the only ones that can keep the unity of the Spirit. I don't believe that for a minute. Not for a second. There's another thought that many uh, believe and teach today, that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace means that we as Christians... Try to find unity with those who may not believe exactly what we believe. In fact, they may not have any faith at all. And yet we should still try to find a unity with them in a peaceful way. I don't have a problem with a peaceful way. But I tell you, I don't believe for a minute that's what Paul was telling us to do. uh, What Paul was trying to teach us at all. Uh, We should endeavor to be peaceful at all times. Don't misunderstand me. But to try to develop unity with those who don't have a like faith or trying to develop unity with someone who doesn't have any faith, to try to find common ground with them. I don't believe that's necessary. I don't believe God's Word calls us to do that. In fact, in Ephesians 5 and 11, the Bible says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Does that sound like we're supposed to have unity with them? 2 Thessalonians 3 and 14. And if any man obey not our word by the epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Now, certainly we have a responsibility to unbelievers. Uh, We have a responsibility to try to connect with them, to teach them, to bring them to salvation. to teach them their responsibility, to to show them the way of righteousness. But we have absolutely no responsibility to seek for unity of spirit with them. None whatsoever that I can find. In fact, I don't believe that we have the authority to even try to do that. Uh, I don't believe that we can have unity of spirit with someone that God does not want us to have unity of spirit with. So what does unity mean? Quite simply, it means oneness. Very simple definition. Unity is like one. It's like being one together. And it's very interesting here in Ephesians 4 that Paul would use that word unity of spirit when just shortly in the next few verses he's going to go through an extensive list of ones that are very important to our religion. In Ephesians uh, verse 4 uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, he talks about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who is Father of, of all and above all and in you all. A great list of ones he's talking about. We think he began right here. He didn't begin right here, he began and in, in almost in verse 1. And begin to show a oneness, a unity that is necessary. It is of the Spirit because it was created by God. It was revealed to us in God's Word. Now we we know, we've read these, these scriptures many times containing these ones. We know that they are clearly a part of God's Word. They're in God's Word. It's a list compiled in verse 4 through 6. All these things are contained within God's Word. The one body that we see up there, we know is the church. It's the one body, the one church that has been revealed in God's Word. The one spirit is the one spirit revealed to us in God's Word, the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of times we want to, even I, want to take a topic cons- Concerning the Holy Spirit and make it a lot more complicated than it is. The Holy Spirit seems to be shrouded in mystery, we think. We're all that way to a certain degree. So we want to make it be more complicated than it really is. But this one spirit that we see in Ephesians is the Holy Spirit. The one hope is the hope revealed through the words of the, of the Bible, through God's Word. And these ones are are all found within the word of God. They're not random. They're not random at all. Neither is the fact that they show unity or show oneness. That's not random. It is by design. There's only one hope, one faith, and one baptism because that's the way God planned it. That's the way God designed it. And it's an example of God himself. We find in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. We know that. We understand that. Now others may not, but we understand the oneness of God. We understand that unity is, as far as the word of God goes, unity is absolute truth. And a lot of people don't like the word absolute truth anymore. But, but it is, God's message is absolute truth. Our calling, our job within the church is absolute truth. It's not subjective. It can't mean one thing to someone and something else entirely to someone else. It can't mean different things at different times and different ages. It just doesn't because it's God's message. And it was intended for all men at all time. And it was intended to be the same thing. God designed it. God created it. It has not changed. And it will not change. There's only one way to God. It's the same that it's, as it's always been. This unity is also of the Spirit that we're talking about this evening. And that the Holy Spirit has united all of God's people into a single body. The church. The Holy Spirit did that. The church, which is every Christian spiritual work, it's, it's the vocation, it's the job for every one of us. The Holy Spirit has united all of us together for that job, for that work. You know, as I said, God created it. We, we had nothing to do with it. It was created for us, not by us. We're not intelligent enough. We're not creative enough. We don't have enough wisdom to create this, this unity. It's created through the power of God and the effort of Jesus and his death on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 13... For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now consider how Paul references the spiritual unity here. He says it's one, it's one body, one Christ, one spirit, one baptism, one body. It's all one, it's unity, perfect unity. <clears throat> and God's eternal plan for man's redemption involves that unity, involves that oneness of all things. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath, he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together, now listen, in, all, in one all things in Christ. Gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. That's the design of God. The eternal plan was accomplished in Christ alone. We sing that song, in Christ alone. And that's, that's the idea here. The plan was in Christ alone. In Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 16, But now in Jesus Christ, who ye sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Do you see in these verses the uniting force of the Spirit? You were far away. You were far away. Now you're made close. That's a uniting force. You were made that way by the blood of Christ. He is our peace who hath made us both one. One. And hath broken down that middle wall of partition. That wall of sin. He broke it down. And he reunited us with God the Father again. He broke that wall of sin down. That separated us. And reunited us. Do you see the uniting force of the Spirit? In verses 15 and 16. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Even the law of commandments containing in ordinances. For to make him. Se- In himself of twain, one new man. See, Jesus was God. He was in heaven. He came to earth. Such as he was, he was two, but he combined them into one. He was the same man. And he made peace by it. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The uni- unity of God's people came through peace that was accomplished by Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, and we're re- reconciled into one body, that church, that's the unity, through the cross. You know, it's even more than that. Spiritual unity, the unity of the spirit, as the scripture puts it, is a basis of For moral obligations. We're sinful people. We always have been, we always will be. But even being sinful people, the spiritual unity tells us that we should be truthful with one another. We should tell the truth. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now I want you to notice what's going on here. Put away lying. Why? Speak every man truth. Why? With his neighbor. Why? We are members one of another. We're the same. You know, I've heard heard the phrase, lie to yourself. I don't really believe that's accurate. You can't lie to yourself. You always know the truth within yourself. We're supposed to treat our neighbors just like it's us. We're not supposed to lie to them in any way just as we wouldn't lie to ourselves. Just as we know the truth ourselves. Because we're one of another. We're just like each other. You know, if we're truly Christians, we can't disregard this oneness that the Spirit has created. We've got to maintain it. It's important to maintain it. It's a great responsibility to maintain it. The unity of the Spirit is the oneness that we have as the body of Christ. It helps us tolerate one another with love. Because we want only the best for each other. That's what the unity of the Spirit is. How do we endeavor to keep it? What's the process there? The Bible says that's our responsibility. We didn't create the unity of Spirit. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross brought it to our attention. The Spirit revealed it to us through God's word God has taken care of that but we have a responsibility and that responsibility is to keep it other translations may say eager to maintain instead of endeavor some may say diligent to preserve it all means the same thing it's just word it's a it's a strong way of wording something To say that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, that's accurate. That's very accurate. It just shows the great importance the Word of God places on us, fulfilling our responsibility to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, the word endeavor is from a root that means to use speed. It means to make diligent effort, to be prompt, to be earnest. It means to give every effort. It means to labor. Work hard for it. Now, the word keep means to guard from loss or injury properly by maintaining the eye upon figuratively to fulfill a command. It is elsewhere translated as hold fast, watch, and preserve. So our responsibility is to guard and preserve the unity that the Holy Spirit has created. That's what our responsibility is. There's no call for us to find common ground with with other people. God God has taken care of that himself. He has created unity for those he wants to, to be unified. We're just responsible to keep that unity, to keep it intact. And we're told to work hard for it. We are to guard the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What does that mean? Bond means a joint, tie, that is a ligament. Uniting principle, control, band, or bond. Someone, some might say it's a glue, a cementing factor. Something that holds it together, keeps everything together. And our desire for peace is a glue that makes maintaining the unity of the spirit possible. It's something we have to desire Something we have to want. Uh, and it's not always that way. It's not a unity that is independent of works or activity, but it's a unity of heart that's always seeking peace. And it makes that unity of actions, that unity of works, possible. So how do we accomplish this? And I, I'm, I fully believe that we have to do it both in doctrine and personally in our relationships with one another as well. In Jude 1, or Jude, excuse me, Jude verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence and write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So we're called upon to earnestly contend for a faith. Work hard at contending for the faith. As we continue on, uh, which was once delivered unto the saints, so we find here that not just any faith, but a faith that was delivered once to all Christians, to all mankind. It's not been changed. It's not been altered in any way. It's the same faith that was called upon uh, 2,000 years ago. And it's called, called, we're called upon to be Be a part of that same faith today. And we're called to earnestly contend for that faith and seek unity through the obedience to the Word of God. And uh, we have to do that as a body. And we have to do that as individuals. We have to do it within our relationships to each other. Have you ever thought about the fact that uh, the attitudes of lowliness Gentleness, long-suffering, uh, endurance, and love. All of these attitudes, all of these characteristics, they, they never cause conflict. Never. They never divide. They always unite people. They're uniting attitudes. In Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15, <clears throat> put on, therefore, as the elect of God... Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man ever quarrel against even any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. All of these attitudes were attitudes that Christ exhibited. And we know how much of a uniting force he was. We know how much of a powerful force he was. We know how much he endured things that we don't think we can endure. And still he forgave. Constantly forgave. Now notice verses 14 and 15. And Paul speaks to the value and motivating influence of unity. In verse 14, and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Love. Love is the glue. Love is the, the bind, the c-meaning factor that holds everything together. The uniting principle. And we have to be mature in the scriptures to understand that. Verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God. You know, we, we know that our own conscience sometimes mislead us sometimes it tells us something that is is not right but if we let the peace of God the word of God rule in us and let it be our moral compass our moral decision maker then we won't have any problems we've all been called into one body so if we put this into practice and we protect the unity of the one body and, keep, and it's in keeping with our, our job, our calling to be part of that one body, that we preserve spiritual unity and we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit it involves a constant concern for the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters as it should. It means that I must think about myself less than I think about others. Lowliness or humility. It means I must not treat others harshly, but with meekness and gentleness. It means I must be long-suffering or patient. Forbearing, enduring, if you will, towards any faults or, or weaknesses that they must they have. And it means I gotta react with love at all times. That's how we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. <clears throat> in Romans chapter fourteen, in which Paul admonishes a brother who is stronger in faith to and instructs him to respect the conscience of a weaker brother, Paul argues for this unity and peace. And he also describes the activity of guarding the unity of the Spirit. In verse uh, one, Paul says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. So he says, Receive a person. That is weak in faith to try to strengthen them. And he says, Don't immediately go to badgering them or arguing with them about the the dispute or the cause of the weakness, in other words. Just try to strengthen them, try to teach them. In verse 3, he says, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God has received them. So concerning two people that may be somewhat more mature in the scriptures. He says if you want to eat certain things. Don't judge the one that doesn't want to eat them. If you don't want to eat those things. Don't judge the one that does want to eat them. Have understanding with each other. In verses 7 through 9. He continues and says for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live we live unto the Lord and whether we die we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or, or die we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And we talk about unity in the body of the spirit but here that we're told that that unity goes even beyond the living and the dead. That the Lord is the Lord both of living and of dead. That we have that unity with our brothers and sisters who may have passed on a long time ago. Those that may come long after we have gone from this earth should have that unity with us as well. Christ's sacrifice was intended to unite us all. That's what the intention was. Now listen closely to verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. That's unity of the Spirit. We do that peacefully with love, with humility, with long-suffering, with meekness and gentleness and endurance and patience and love. Then we'll maintain The unity of the spirit. Salvation is the work of God. It's not our work. It's unity of the spirit and it must be preserved. You know, God's message is one message. It always has been. We are one in him. We are one with each other. At least we're supposed to be. That's the unity we're supposed to have. You know, we think that God created unity. Therefore, we may not have much to do with it, but we do. It's our responsibility to keep it. That's that's what God wanted us to do. That's the job he gave us to do. He gave us the unity. He said, you preserve it. You keep it. What a great responsibility that is. So I ask you this evening, are you one with God? Are you? Do you have peace with God? Are you a part of the one body that God designed, that Christ paid for, that the Spirit recorded for us? Are you part of that one body? It's been created for you and me and everyone else. We have been unified through the blood that was shed on the cross. Have you accepted that? Have you been a part of it, but have denied it and gone back? There's no other way. There's no other possibility. There's no other door that's open. It's the only way. It's the only way to be unified in spirit.